Well, thank you, Gene. Last week we noted in John 3 the, the encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus. And in that, we left off in verse 15 with the statement that Jesus said that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, when you were in school, and it is so good to have our, uh, many of our kids with us, K through fifth grade, we're excited that you're here with us. And so, kids, I'd ask you a question, and adults, I also want to ask you a question. When you were in school, you ever hear the teacher say something and so wish that they would repeat what they just said or clarify what they just said, but you didn't have the courage to raise your hand? I mean, everything within you wanted to raise your hand and, and ask, can you, can you define that? What do you mean by that? Can you explain that? Everything inside of you wanted to raise your hand, but you didn't have the courage to actually raise your hand. If you're one of those people, would you raise your hand? That's right. So everybody instinctually did this thing. So you people are honest, and those that didn't raise your hand, I know you're one of them, okay? That's the case. What John gives us today in a text set for you is probably familiar. In John 3, 16, he gives us a clarification of what he told us in verse 15 in the encounter with Jesus. So uh, the writer helps us to understand in greater depth truly that whoever believes on him will have eternal life. Two clarifications of this that we want to understand this morning, that if we do understand it, male or female, old or young, whoever believes in him has life in his name. To grasp this is to shape and to change all of our lives. See, usually we hear this text and we ask the question, we think, are you saved? We asked it last week, are you born again? Nicodemus saw he must be born again to have life and life eternal. Today we note the understanding that the writer helps us to see in greater clarity that to believe, to, to know Jesus, to look to Jesus is to become and to be beloved by God. And to be loved by God is to be an identity anchor beyond all other identities by which you say or describe yourself as. To be the beloved is to be the chief marker of your life. This is the joy and the good news that we have this morning and what for many of us may be old news, but we pray in our hearts will become renewed news this morning as we note first that Jesus being sent by the Father is the greatest possible expression of love. Jesus is being sent by the Father, is being sent by the Father is the greatest expression of love. It's a love that anchors all believers new identity as the beloved. Now, God is a trinity. God is a trinity, triune. One God, one what? One God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Not parts of God, but one God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Son forever eternally begotten of the Father. The Spirit eternally proceeding from the Son and the Father for eternity. The Father, Son, and Spirit have loved one another and had fellowship one with another, needing nothing. The great love of God and His kindness, He would choose to create 
man in his image, to have relationship with him and to know the love of God, to be sustained in him and to abide in him. This is the good news that we have in the story of Scripture, the story of history. But all we need to do is look around and look in and we say, what happened? What happened? And when man fell and man sinned against God, Adam and Eve rebelling, we see immediately shame comes into the story, sin comes into the story, death comes into the story of, of reality. Everything becomes broken and shattered. And the world is brought into darkness and death reigns. come to John 3:16 in the story and we understand that God in his great love for us that the father would love us so much while we were yet sinners that he would send the son and the son in full obedience to the father would come and take on the nature of a man see the suffering of Christ didn't begin on the cross but his sacrifice began if you will at the taking on the nature of a man Jesus then is the eternal son who's taken on flesh and dwelt among us that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And Jesus fulfilled all the demands of the law, all the demands of Scripture. Jesus kept them perfectly. And Jesus, who loves the Father and is loved by the Father, He perfectly does the will of the Father who sent Him. And He loses none that the Father will give Him. And the Son lays His life down in obedience on the cross, even death on a cross. And as we take the Lord's Supper here in just a while, little while today, we'll be reminded, is my, and we'll answer the question, is my sin really so serious that it requires death? And the Lord's Supper says, yes, the death of Christ, the death of the Holy One. But He didn't stay dead. He defeated death, arose again, walked the earth, ascended to heaven, reigns in the position of authority, the right hand of the Father, and He will come again. And we will partake with Him, and we will eat with Him, we will drink with Him, we will have communion with Him forever. And so when we have this news that is good news for us, that whoever believes in Him will have life. That's the invitation to us, not only for life eternal, but life today. We are beloved. You see that? We get to have relationship with God. We get to be included in the great loving relationship as existed for all eternity. The Father, Son, and Spirit in Himself the Godhead. What joy you have. See, the significance, as we understand John 3.16 from the very beginning, is that this is something that's to be so transformative in our identity that the authors of Scripture will use it to understand all of life. And we'll see that as believers suffer for believing and being identified with Jesus, they can say, yeah, you know what, this has been a hard time, but I am holy and beloved by God. Or yeah, this has been a sweet season in my life, and I am holy and beloved by God. Seasons of grieving and missing loved ones. This is hard and this hurts, or a great distance that you have from family or, or friends. This is hard, but I am beloved by God. See, John 3.16, that the Father would send the Son becomes the defining marker of our identity. This is the good news. 
And it's this momentum driven out of love the Father would love us, not looking into history and saying, you know what, there's something lovable about him or her, but that in love, while we were yet sinners, the Father in love would send the Son for us. That whoever believes in him, regardless of your background, regardless of what's even been done to you, where you may feel unclean, that by belief in his Son, you will have life, eternal life, that's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news. And it's to mark all of our identity as the beloved of God. Now flip over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, if you have a Pewback Bible in front of you, if you don't have a Bible, please do follow along in that. It's page 984, Colossians 3, 12 through 17. The great love of God that the Father would send the Son for us, that in believing in him we could have life, even Nicodemus, even as we'll see in two weeks a Samaritan woman in shame, she can have a life if she will believe in Jesus. And Jesus, as he'll send his disciples out toward the end of the gospel account, as he sends his disciples out, he'll say, my peace I give to you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you into the world. How was the Son sent? The Son was sent in love into darkness. The light had come into darkness. And so in love, as the Son was sent, so too the Son sends us in love. The beloved are sent in love. A love for people who are hard to love. We love them because we know the great love of God in Jesus and we're to love others in the great love of Jesus, serving them, praying for them, forgiving them, telling them about Jesus no matter what. And whatever happens, we are the beloved. Isn't that good news? Watch how this marks the identity of the church, of the people of God. Watch how this marks their identity. Colossians chapter 3, 12 through 17. And, and Paul writing to the church, he just told them a moment ago, a few verses before, what to stop believing. Stop believing these things. Stop doing these things. Stop practicing these things. And he uses the language like clothes. Put off the old self. Do your mind and put on the new self. Look what he tells them to put on. See, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. This love isn't a beginning component of our faith as believers. It is a defining component of our life as believers. Look what he says, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, holy and beloved. Believer, you are holy. You say, wait, me? I'm holy? Some of you are looking at your spouse like them. They're holy. That's not good. Yes, believer, you are holy and beloved. I'm loved. I don't feel you are beloved and holy because of Jesus. The great love of God, you are beloved and you are holy. So what should we put on then, he tells us? Put on compassionate hearts, 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Testing your patience. I couldn't resist. If you haven't figured that one out yet, every time I read patience forever, I'm going to wait awkwardly long just to see your patience. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, what? The people of God having a complaint against one another? Do what? Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on what? Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it do what in our hearts? Rule in our hearts. So Jesus told them, peace I give with you. I send you as the Father has sent me. We're sent. We're sent people, sent in love. The mission is driven by love. The great love of God we've been recipients of and covered in and lavished in. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed were called in one body. And be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it mature in you. So, so Christianity is a, it's a team sport. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spirit songs or spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, look at this, word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The love of God rests at the transformed core and transforming core of our lives. Your identity believer, by believing in Jesus, as you become, you're declared a holy one, one who is righteous because of Jesus. His righteous holy life has been accredited to your account. And he tells the church, he reminds them of who they are, the beloved of God, and he says, live like it. Live out of the love of God. Live out of the working of God in your life. To clarify that even further, look a couple pages back in your Bibles. Look to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. Page 989 in your pew back. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. Look what Paul tells these believers. Look what he tells these believers. See if it sounds very familiar. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. Why? Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification that's set apart for a holy purpose. It's looking more and more like Christ by the work of the Spirit, by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And if you have a pen, underline that spot or write that note in your bulletin, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. So who is working in us? These works that are making us look more and more like Christ. Who is working in us? The Spirit is working in us. The power of God is working in us. Keep that in mind. Because in verse 21 of chapter 3, you get this picture of those who do come into the light, who want their light, their, their deeds to be exposed. And you read that at first, when Gene read that for us. You hear that at first, and you say, well, I don't, I don't want to come into the light. 
And as a believer, it's the Spirit of God. He works in us. We long to be in the light. We long to be with the light. And that's what he tells the church here. Through sanctification, by the Spirit and belief in the truth, the Lord is, 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 is working in us. Verse 14, to this he called you through our gospel, the good news, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by letter. That's the same message that we have in the Scriptures. It wasn't a different message, a secret message. It's the same message, the same gospel. Verse 16, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who did what? who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. He reminds them twice, you are the beloved. Love. And remember, the Father loved us. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news we have this morning. That's the good news we get together every single Sunday, every Lord's Day. We gather together. We prioritize it in our schedule. We gather and we're reminded. Why do we have to keep being reminded? Isn't John 3.16 the most known verse in all the Bible? We tend to forget, don't we? We're so tempted to base our identity in anything imaginable. We need to stop and remember that you are holy and you are beloved. And Jesus Christ the one sent in love. That's the good news. Not try hard to come up, but the Son was sent in love. And whoever looks to Him has life. That's what we need to be reminded of every week. Every week, every day. You know what? I didn't do very good on this test, but I am beloved in the Lord. I am loved by Him. You know what? I blew it in that conversation. I need to go ask forgiveness, but I do know this still. I am beloved in the Lord. And so I can go to them for forgiveness. You know what? This has been a hard week. But I know still I am beloved in the Lord. I got laid off in my job, but I know I am beloved in the Lord still today. My body's beginning to fail me. But you know what? I know I am beloved in the Lord today. Believer, that's your anchor of your identity. Isn't that good news? Not only are you beloved in the Lord, but Jesus, secondly, is the, is the one-of-a-kind Son of God. Beloved, secondly, Jesus is the one-of-a-kind Son of God. Which means that through Him, all who believe will be saved. That's a promise. All who believe in Him will be saved. For He is the unique, only begotten, the one-of-a-kind Son of God. We're going to note in this two components that we cannot miss, two very simple components that come out in these verses, 17 through 21. The first is that he is holy. Well, he is holy. That's going to be this side of the room's job to say that in just a moment. So this is a, like a reader response time. He is holy and he is our hope. Both should come out of this text incredibly clear for the reader. If we missed it, we missed it. We should walk away from this text understanding that what he is, yeah, so he is totally unique. He is light in darkness. There's not a bunch of different lights. He is light in darkness. There is, he is 
wholly unique. We see that in the gospel accounts. Everybody he interacts with, he is uniquely different. Even then his disciples, the people following after him, learning about him, observing him, having to practice what he teaches, even they, he is totally different than them. He is holy. But also, not only is he holy, he is our... So, so we're seen saying he's holy, and it makes us say, well, I'm not holy. But right on the other side of that coin, before we get frightened by that, we remember what? That he is our hope. And we look to him and we believe. We do what he said in verse 15. Whoever believes in him may have life eternal. That's the good news. He is and he is very good. We should start a cheer squad. I'm excited about that. He is holy. Let's look at that first component, 17 through 20. He is holy, meaning his presence as light, it brings a reminder to those in darkness of their present condemnation. That will be confirmed on Judgment Day. Now, in Jesus' first coming, he did not come to judge. He makes that very clear here. But his presence as light brings judgment. That's what light does. It exposes that which is not light. It brings things into darkness. It, it exposes them. But we want to be clear on that. He didn't come to execute judgment in his coming. As a matter of fact, he says that in Matthew 25, 31 through 33. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels are with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. The people of every nation will be gathered in front of him. He will separate them as shepherds separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And Jesus is the one, or Daniel 7, son of man, who has an everlasting reign, an everlasting kingdom. So in what ways does he bring an awareness of condemnation? He brings an awareness of condemnation by nature of the fact he is the Holy One. He is the Holy One of God. He is holy holy. He is entirely holy. So all that he interacts with exposes who they are. When we interact with light, we have one of two choices. Imagine in the morning, you turn the light on your kid. Or if it's not your kid, you break into somebody's house and turn a light on their kid just to see what happens. You know what's going to happen? One of two things. Either A, they're going to cover up if they don't cover up, they might throw something at you or go to the light to turn it off to stay in the darkness. Or B, they're going to lay there in the light and adjust to live in the light. Two options. Deny the light, suppress the light, hide, and try and extinguish it or deny it. Or B, you abide by it. You rest in it. And what we see when Jesus comes is those who deeds are done in wickedness, because all of us, this impacts all of us, all of us have done and do deeds in wickedness. None of us are holy. None of us look at the light and say, hey, finally somebody that gets me. Finally another holy person. This is great. It's getting lonely here in the darkness. The light didn't come into the dark with a couple of lights. The light came into the darkness, sent in love by the Father. He is alone holy. He is the only good news for the world. He's not a good news. Jesus cannot be a good news. There's not a plurality of good news. There is one good news. It's one gospel, one Savior, one Holy One. That's Jesus. Nobody else is holy. 
So what this does as the reader is it forces us to realize, you know what, no, I actually am in the darkness. I'm not neutral. Jesus didn't come to put us over the top in His holiness. He is light in darkness. And light exposes. Of all of us together, there's not one of us in this congregation that is .01% whole. We're all in wickedness. We're all in darkness. So Jesus is not just about not doing bad things. It's not about trying harder. It's that we need to be holy to be with God. And none of us can become holy. And on our own, if we're honest, in darkness, we like the darkness. But God, rich in mercy, would in love send His Son, saving perishing ones. We look around at life in the world, and the world is cracking at the seams. Again and again and again, it cracks at the seams. You have friends and you have family, and in your own life, as you've done life outside the rule and the love of the Lord, you've experienced the consequences of the cracking at the seams. All of life is sand. We look at our culture collapsing on their foundations. We cannot build on anything else but sand on our own, but there is a holy one. Jesus leads us on this component to say, what will we do? Because light exposes. It exposes naturally. For example, when I was, I, I would be, one of the most common questions I get asked as a pastor is what did I want to do before I became a pastor? And the answer is what I thought I could do. A professional athlete. That was totally going to be me. What sport? Any of them. I'm good enough of an athlete. I'll make it. And then middle school happened. Right? Struck down at the prime of my career, and I was B-team. And I kind of thought, okay, maybe not. And you get into high school, and you see some great high school athletes. Our, our church has been given a great opportunity, a great group of young men, uh, the Nacogdoches High School basketball team, Bobby Austin and the, uh, the, the student ministry has been able to house them and feed them. And you just hang around these kids. You see their athleticism. You see their size, and it's just a reminder. Oh, okay, yeah, nope, that wasn't going to be a career for me. And you hang around with some of these college athletes. We have some college athletes that come to our congregation every once in a while. Uh, football players, baseball players, all these athletes, and you watch them, you're around them, and you're thinking, oh, yeah, no, it gets worse. Our small group of guys, we went to the Mudbugs game. That's a minor league hockey game in Shreveport. And you see what these guys are doing on ice. These are minor leaguers. And you realize, okay, yeah, no, that's not even the picture. You go to the professional sporting event, and you realize, oh, wow, this is unbelievable. See, excellence exposes those that lack excellence. But even that example falls short for Jesus alone is holy. Light come into darkness. He is holy, but He is what? He is our hope. He is our hope. Unpacking that from verse 21, He is our hope. All are invited to 
come into the light. Trust in Jesus and be transformed by the loving power of God. Believingly look to Jesus and live. This is what we have for us, to believingly look to Jesus and live. So summarizing what we've seen, Father, Son, and Spirit eternally loving one another and having relationship with one another. What happens to those in darkness in verse 21? Let me read that verse again for us so it's fresh in our minds. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. None of us reads that first part and says, hey, that's me. But what's it say? So that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in who? In whom? In God. Remember what we saw earlier in the Second Thessalonians text? The Spirit of God working in us. The gospel on our own that would have sounded distasteful, or at the very least, we would have been apathetic toward. The Lord's gracious working in us. We hear the gospel and the Lord begins to do a work in us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And we hear of the light. And we realize that we are broken and unholy. And we hear the gospel and we want to run into the light. Because the Spirit of God, He's working in us. That's the good news. It's not found within us. We don't look at ourselves and find holiness. We look to the Lord. The Spirit of God, He gives us, He's working in us, this new life, this heart of stone. He gives us a heart of flesh. And we become proclaimers of the good news of the gospel. We're the beloved of the Lord. And we become proclaimers of the beloved of the Lord, serving others, loving others, caring for others, being sent into the world. And every week we're reminded of this. And, and as the Spirit of God works in us and He matures us and He shapes us more into the image of Christ, we praise Him and we thank Him and we desire to live more and more by the light. How do we do that? By believing and looking at His Son, our Savior, Jesus, and living in the light as the beloved of God proclaiming a message of hope and forgiveness and adoption by faith in Jesus. Believingly look to Jesus and live. That's the good news that we have to build our lives upon. In our next steps, the Lord's Supper is the perfect, most beautiful reminder of John 3.16 we could ever partake in. In your next steps, I have five listed out that really expound on what is our next step, to partake of the Lord's Supper together. And this is a beautiful gift of the church with a multitude of reminders built within it. For we're reminded at the Lord's Supper, we answer the question, is my sin really this significant? And as you read through the Old Testament, you can't get through the first few books and not see how bloody it is. You can't get through the books and see just how disqualified we are. And the Lord's Supper is a reminder that not only did I need a sacrifice, but I need the sacrifice. I need the light to be sacrificed for me. I need to be declared holy. I need my account to be His account exchanged for me and my account exchanged upon Him. And that's what the Lord's Supper proclaims and reflects. That the broken, holy body of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the bloodshed of Jesus for me. That's the good news that's proclaimed here first and foremost. Secondly, we have a gracious reminder of God's great love for us in Christ. 
It's not do you feel loved. It's a reminder that no, no, no. We are loved. The Lord's Supper is a reminder that we partake in, that we do this in remembrance of Him. We're doing something as a church family that is itself a reminder of what the Lord has done for us. We're hearing it preached. We're hearing it taught. But we're partaking as a reminder of what the Lord has done for us. Third, it's a nourishing reminder of our position as recipients of salvation in Christ. We don't demand reservations to this table. This is the Lord's table. He invites us to it. We are recipients of it, passive recipients of what the Lord had actively done once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. And it's a reminder of the grace that the Lord has covered us in. What a celebration the Lord's Supper is. It's nourishing to our faith. It builds us up in a unique way as an ordinance that God has given the church to continue to do until He should come again. It's also a joyful reminder that, that we've been adopted into Christ's many-membered body. See, we can't take the Lord's Supper by ourselves. I can't go home in my bedroom partake of the Lord's Supper. This is a community event. This is a community meal. We're the people of God. We look around, I mean, you could look around for a moment, and you could look and say, for their sin too? Yeah. We're adopted, made one, by what Christ did too? Yeah. That's family. We've had family members for hundreds and hundreds of years partaking of this meal, being reminded that they've been saved into a multi-membered body. What a gift that the Lord gives us of community to grieve with one another and to love one another and serve one another and forgive one another. That's one of the gifts that the Lord gives us in the Lord's Supper as a church family. And finally, it's a a beautiful proclamation of our identification with the Lord and His holy life, His make-right death, His glorious resurrection, His ascension, and the proclamation and our belief in the coming again of Jesus. That he will come again bodily one day. We will eat with him. We will commune with him forever. That is a joyful proclamation in all seasons of life. This is a meal that churches are partaking all across the world and many other places where it's dangerous for them to do so. They do so as a proclamation and the steadfastness of their hope in Jesus. We get to partake in that together. So let me pray for us as our servers come forward and we prepare to partake. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the life that we have in your son, Jesus. We're reminded of the significance of our sin, and we're reminded, Lord, of truly the hope that we have in him, that he is enough. And so, God, as we search our hearts, we ask that your spirit would search us, that he then dwells us. Lord, you would expose any areas where we need to seek forgiveness from others. And we thank you for the union that we have with one another. We thank you that we are so loved and we have been so sent to share the message and to show the message of this good news with others. We do love you and we thank you for the life that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. As our servers distribute this now, you'll hold on to the elements and we'll partake them together at the reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 11.